Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Raj Punjabi, head of identity content at HuffPost. And I'm Noah Michelson, head of HuffPost Personal. Welcome to Am I Doing It Wrong? The show that explores the all-too-human anxieties we have about trying to get our lives right. Okay, Raj, before we get into today's episode, we've been getting a ton of email because our email address finally works. (laughs) I love it. Uh, And people have been sending great questions and topic ideas. We got one from Lisa that I want to read. She, like so many people, were obsessed with the laundry episode we did with Patrick Richardson, the laundry evangelist. And she said, I've always wondered just how full we can get a front-loading washing machine. I've heard the fuller the better as long as the clothes are not packed in tight, but can we fill it to the top of the drum? Is this true? And she's worried about whether or not the spin cycle can handle all that weight. So Patrick was nice enough Mm -hmm. to email us back and he said, you should check your manual, but usually you can fill it about 80% of the way full. The real key is the weight. If you're washing things that are going to be really heavy, like jeans, maybe pack it a little less full. Got it. Um, He said, you don't want to wash clothes. Uh, that are going to weigh more than 25 pounds. And that's usually about 15 pairs of jeans. So he said, basically, fill it as full as you can, um, as long as the items aren't super heavy. Makes sense. Yeah. So thanks for that, Lisa. And thanks, Patrick, for coming to our rescue once again. We love Patrick. (laughs) We do. All right. So let's get down to business for today. Noah, I know that you are a dog zaddy, okay? (laughs) I am. Have you always been a dog person? I have not. So I grew up with dogs. We had Airedales, we had Tibetan Terriers, Mm -hmm. and I liked them fine, but I've always been a cat guy. Yeah. In fact, when I would be looking for a boyfriend on like the the dating apps, Mm -hmm. if they had a dog, I usually swiped right on by because I didn't want to deal with the dog. I find them annoying. Oh no, okay. Now I love dogs. Now that I have a dog, I'm obsessed. So that's all it really took. 
Yeah. Are, are you a dog person? I mean, it works like that. I've been a dog person my entire life. I understand them. They understand me. I am a bit of a dog. Like, I'm just excited <laughs> all the time, etc. cetera. Um, but now I have a cat. My partner moved in with a cat and she is the love of my life. And now I'm a cat person. Right. I meow sometimes, like, yeah. in, in reaction to things. I think the hard thing, whether it's a dog or a cat, is are they happy? And how yeah. do we make them happy? Yeah. And it's like literally my most important goal in life. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Thankfully, today we have Dr. Emily Levine with us. She's an animal behaviorist with a background in veterinary medicine, and she is just the queen dog whisperer. Let's get Emily in here and figure out what the hell is going on with our dogs. Let's do it. Okay, Emily, first of all, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to talk about puppers for the next 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to talk about this information. Wonderful. Okay, first question. Can you tell us what makes a dog behaviorist different from a vet? Absolutely. And this is such an important question because it's so confusing to so many people. I often say it's clear as mud when you're out there trying to find help for your dog. And I think... What's most important to know, if you're a dog trainer, you don't have to have any education at all, Mm -hmm. and you can call yourself whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You can call yourself a dog behaviorist, a dog trainer, a dog trainer who specializes in aggressive, anxious dogs. Mm -hmm. There are no regulations out there, no governing body to sort of make sure they are skilled to work with your precious pet. That's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. And so the way I sort of look at it is there are dog trainers who should be able to teach basic stuff, sit down, stay, wait, and maybe advise what sport your dog might like. (laughs) And they should all be using positive methods and Hopefully, they have some initials after their name to show that they've at least done some formal training, form, uh, formal mm-hmm. training, or taken some online courses and passed some tests. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we want some initials after their name. Mm-hmm. Then there's a higher level of trainer or, or a different skill set, I should say, and these generally are called dog behaviorists or behavior consultants, and they should have the letters I double A B C after their name. Mm-hmm. It's a different skill set. So those dog trainers have done a little more education and work to work with dogs who have, who don't just need basic dog manners, but who may have some anxiety issues or aggression issues. And then there are veterinary behaviorists, so, which is, you know, what I am. So I'm a veterinarian. I went to vet school. I did an internship. I practiced in regular medicine. I then did a residency in animal behavior at Cornell. And what we do is, in addition to learning traditional medicine, we then become proficient in psychopharmacology, behavioral Mm -hmm. endocrinology, different type of neurology. Because when we're looking at dogs as a veterinary behaviorist, we should know all the stuff that a dog trainer should know mm-hmm. or a dog behaviorist yes. should know and what behavior mods. But we have the medical knowledge to know, is there a physical issue that is causing the behavior problem? Is there a physical issue that's making it worse? I would say the n- number one thing I see in my practice that makes dogs, causes anxiety or aggression or making it worse 
is discomfort mm. and pain that is just easily missed for so many mm. reasons. It's very, very common. So we can prescribe treatments for pain, but we can also prescribe behavioral medications for mm. our pets if they're really, if they're having compulsive disorders or severe anxiety disorders or you know, a lot of frustration or aggression. So as a medical professional, we sort of can look at both the internal factors and the external factors and sort of do like an overall treatment plan. Well, this is why we have you here because nothing but the best for the our listeners. The whole package. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So I have a dog with my boyfriend. His name is Jumanji. We call him Jumi. He's Jumi. three. Um, he's a pit German Shepherd mix, but a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's a rescue. So I'll probably talk about him a lot. But one of the things I wonder about, and I think this is a great place to start, is just how much do we know about what a dog is thinking? Yeah. And is there more research that's happened in like the last 20 or 30 years? Or is it still a mystery? I have no idea what's going on in his head and it's oh. the most frustrating thing. And I thing. know you stare into his soul Completely. just asking. And yeah. I talk to him like I do, but I just, what do we know about what dogs understand or what they are thinking. We still have a lot to learn. But what we can certainly say is that dogs certainly do think they have to (laughs) or they couldn't survive and adapt. So an example of that is they have to know that hey, when, you know, this person's opening the fridge, they're probably going to get out food, so I better get in there and hang out and, you know, wait politely or pester them not so politely (laughs) for food. They have to be able to make associations or they wouldn't survive. We Mm -hmm. all do. And that's thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also have the basic emotional parts of their brain that allow them to feel or experience anxiety, frustration, aggression, care, friendship. They have These are basic parts of the brain. These are not special to humans. That mm. has been proven. Mm. So the emotions and the motivations are what allow the animal to really think and make associations and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of a continuation of that question. I mean, and, and in the way that we know that they sniff things to kind of yeah. figure things out. They they shake hands by sniffing butts, I've heard. Uh-huh. So could you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> I like that, yes. <laughs> Um, dogs have a wonderful sense of smell. Uh, so they get a lot of information by smelling. And I don't mm-hmm. think we have the faintest clue, all the information they're getting from that sense. But that's a huge sense for them. Mm. In fact, there are some dogs that I'll see that they will, they'll make a decision if they like someone or not only after they sniff them. Yeah, totally. And you know, when you see dogs meet, how they sort of They'll sniff the head. Then mm-hmm. if that's okay, they go to the butt. You know, mm-hmm. I call it speed dating. Oh you know, you're going to get a lot <laughs> so of information cute. very quickly and decide if you want to hang out or move on. Right. So dogs can get a lot of information from sniffing, and it's a great way to enrich their world. Dogs also have an excellent sense of hearing. They can hear things we can't. Mm-hmm. They also are, and most people don't realize, they can see color but they're red-green colorblind. So they'll see shades of blues and yellows as opposed to reds and green. But they can see color. So just like us, they they have all the senses, you know, to help them interpret their world, navigate their world, and help make decisions about things. Mm. The smell thing is so cool to me because I've I've watched, you know, hundreds of dog documentaries. And I feel like I remember 
there are some emotional and physical support dogs that actually can smell certain enzymes and body chemicals as to when someone is going to have an episode. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy to me. It is fascinating. There are dogs who can be service dogs for if someone has like their heart rate is getting too low, wow. the dog will alert them to take a pill or you're about to have a seizure. Yep. And well, this doesn't require smell, but I still think it's cool. Like mm. people who can't, turn over and bed themselves, but they have to, otherwise they'll get bed sores. The dog can lay next to them and they sort of hold on to the dog and the dog will sort of turn them over. I mean, it's really, and they have dogs that sniff out, you know, cancer cells. They also use dogs to sniff out in airports, Mm -hmm. not just drugs. I mean, I think most people are like, oh, they're here to sniff drugs, but also cash, large amounts of cash. Wow, (laughs) they're narcs. Oh, I maintain, and I'm going to say it throughout this episode, that dogs are better than humans. Oh, 100%. I would rather hang out with a dog. 150%. We do not deserve that. No, not at all. Dogs don't have agendas, right? Like they're just innocent and pure, pure. and they wear their emotions on their sleeves, so to speak. Yes. Like there are no hidden agendas. So true. Not at all. And because of that, and the whole purpose of this episode is really that we want to make our dogs as happy as possible. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. But I think to start, we should talk about how do we know if our dog is happy because it's a mystery to me. So like, why don't we just run through a couple things that historically people have said, oh, if you see this, that means they're happy. So tail wagging, does that mean that they're happy? No. Oh, here here we go. Here we go. (laughs) It's going to really stress you out. (laughs) So the tail, we have to look at more than just the actual wag. Mm. So I would say if the tail is wagging very stiffly and rhythmically, you have to look at the rest of the dog's body. You can't just look at one body part to tell what they're feeling. Okay. Because there are dogs who will, quote, happily aggress. Mm. You know, their tail is stiff. That just They're just aroused. Uh-huh. That's all. It's arousal. Heightened, Whether it's positive yeah. or negative, we don't know unless we look at the rest of the body language and the context. Right. So I usually just tell people, if you want to guarantee, hey, this means the dog's happy, their whole butt is going back and forth, uh-huh. side to side. Uh-huh. That you can, they're happy. They're wiggly. I'm just thinking of corgis. Corgis have infamous waggy butts. <laughs> yeah, like this, yeah. These completely. guys are the best. And you can, like you said, you can see it in their face. Their too, face. Or at least I think so. Yes, yeah. there's like what's called the happy face where they sort of have their mouth sort of, I mean, this is a podcast, you can't see what I'm doing with my hands, <laughs> but they sort of have their mouth um, halfway open with their tongue hanging out and their eyes and they just have loose body language. It's like the happy face. It's the best, Yeah, you know, or if they're doing play bows. Uh, so, but just a tail wag, there are different kinds of wags. Mm-hmm. And if it's fast and loose versus stiff and rhythmical, the direction it goes more towards, all of that can be varied emotions. Okay, what about the kisses? Like yeah. when dogs lick your face. Yeah. So dogs can lick your face for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just they're super excited to see you. It's their greeting, yeah. you know. Um, and other times, and I will say, I don't, I I read and hear a lot of people say kiss to dismiss. Like they're just saying, okay. please go away or yeah. don't <laughs> move further. I don't know that we know that. Okay. Yeah. So I can't. I just don't know. Right. But um, it's I think a theory. It's a theory. I think more science has to be done on that. But licking can certainly be done um, as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are times where it can be not so positive. Right. But I think we have a lot to learn about that. If we do some more studies, I would like to be a participant in like the dog we will sign you I want to be in the control yes. group with the happy dog. Yes. Just getting licked to death. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
my God. It's like Xanax. <laughs> totally. <laughs> what do we know about how dogs feel about getting affection from the other way? Mm. So oh, yeah. I love to kiss Jumi. I love to hug Jumi. I love to pet Jumi. But yes. sometimes it kind of seems like he's not into that. Yeah, I, I'm the same. Uh-huh. I love to smush my dog and kiss him to pieces, even though <laughs> I know he doesn't really care for it. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not growling. He's not biting. Yeah. That's you know, uh, but he's clearly just tolerating right. it and puts up so with it. Cute. He does like a little groan. <laughs> but most, many dogs, it's really interesting, but many dogs really don't find being pet and hugged and kissed particularly nice. Mm-hmm. They just don't enjoy it very much. And I mean, there's some dogs who don't get me wrong. Yes, yeah, scratch my butt. I love a good butt scratch. Yeah. Right. Or when you first come home or they haven't seen you in a while because they're so excited to see you, yeah. that may mask how they really feel about it. Mm-hmm. But when you really watch a dog's body language, yeah. when they're hanging out, doing their own thing, most of them are just tolerating it at best. There are lots of dogs where, quite frankly, they get so frustrated and annoyed that they start to growl Mm -hmm. and say, hey, please back off. I'm really not enjoying this. Oh my God, are dogs actually cats? (laughs) (laughs) This is the secret of this show. illuminating. (laughs) But this breaks my heart a little bit because I don't want to stop doing that. But it sounds like I should, yeah? Well, Well, you know, this is where we have a little bit of like a culture clash, Uh human culture and dog culture. It is important. You know, we have dogs, we love them. And I would say if they're tolerating it, as long as they're not aggressing, um, or it's making them very anxious, tail tucked, ears back. If they're tolerating it, it's a little bit like hugging your kid, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. especially as they become more of a teenager, you know, (laughs) like sometimes you're just going to hug them and kiss them and they just have to put up with it. So I don't think it's a terrible thing to pet and hug and kiss your dog if they tolerate it and don't love it. I think it's, we shouldn't be doing it if it clearly makes them anxious or they're using aggression as a strategy to say, stop. Right. Um, because most people, and if we ignore the early signs, you know, the growl, let's say, then dogs sometimes feel they have to escalate their message. Fair enough, because yeah. we are not getting boundaries. It. Yeah, you know, it, boundaries yeah. exactly. And also, I've read that a lot of dogs don't love the hug in particular because yes. you make them feel a little suffocated. Yes. So maybe the pets. are like nicer for them. So there's a little bit of compromise perhaps. And the cheek and Mm -hmm. the chin, you know, um, probably avoiding going along down the back and that type of stuff. And you can keep it brief too. And I think as long as very honestly, you know, it's a relationship that we have with our dogs and there's always give and take and stuff like that. As long as that's not the only thing you ever do with your dog, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make sure they're getting time to play or getting time to do things that they find Mm -hmm. enjoyable. You know, it's give and take. Yeah, we get our fix and then maybe we move on. Yes. What I love about this already is this is something we learn on the podcast in different episodes. Like we just did one about food storage and leftovers. And the thing we took away from that one is like, your food wants to tell you when it's not happy anymore. There are signs. You can smell it. You can see it. There's mold, whatever. And it sounds like you're saying as much as we don't know about dogs, they're giving us signals as well. (laughs) And we should be able to read those and that will help us know what to do. So if they look like they're not loving you, hugging them, they're probably not. Exactly. Learning the best thing any owner can probably do of a dog to really understand their dog and 
is to learn how to read their body language because mm-hmm. they're constantly telling us how they feel. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. We just have to learn how to read it. And no, we're not born understanding that, you know, like no dog owner should feel guilty about not knowing how to read their dog. But there are lots of resources, you know, body language videos and resources where you can learn how they exactly are communicating. What does it mean when Mm -hmm. they have this body posture or ear position? And for different breeds, some breeds are harder to read than others, you know. Um, But it's the best thing really that a dog owner can do to really get to know their dog learn how they speak because they're speaking all the time yeah let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more am i doing it wrong this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Raj, I've got a question that I've been asking myself a lot recently. Tell me. Am I investing wrong? Ooh, I see what you did there. But I'm sincerely asking because look, I have investments. I have an account here, a 401k there, and I'm really lucky I don't have any crushing debt. But until recently, I haven't had the confidence that I've been doing it right. I know what you mean. We all want to make sure we're making good financial decisions, not just doing whatever Susie Orman told us to do 10 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. But that's why I've been using Yahoo Finance. Tell me more about it. Well, with Yahoo Finance, I've been able to consolidate all of my accounts into one place. And I got to tell you something. It's been so much easier. Okay, Yahoo Finance. It's giving nostalgia. Absolutely. You know, I found Yahoo Finance to be incredibly helpful for tracking everything I need with all of my money. And as you probably know at this point, I'm quite wealthy. I know, spiritually and literally. I am not a wealthy one percenter yet. So would the service be good for me still? Oh, 100%. Yahoo Finance is good for everyone, from the very seasoned investor or just a normie like you who's looking for a little extra guidance. It gives you all the tools and info you need. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like Yahoo Finance will give me a holistic look at the financial news cycle, original editorial perspectives, and so much more. That's exactly right. And let's just say Yahoo Finance is going to be the perfect place to link all your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. Hell yeah. I cannot wait to make it rain with the help of Yahoo Finance. (laughs) 
So for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. yahoofinance.com. Once again, that's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Am I Doing It Wrong? What about taking dogs for walks? Will you lay out for us the ideal things we should be doing? I read somewhere recently that this person was saying, I I have two different kinds of walks. I have the walks that are for me, and basically mm-hmm. I'm taking the dog out to get the dog's business done and then, you know, a little exercise. And then I do what I call a sniff about. Mm-hmm. And that is when I actually know the dog is just, I'm going to let them sniff. And we might only so make cute. it two blocks in yeah. 25 minutes because they're sniffing every single third foot. But I'm going to let them do that. So talk to us about your thoughts on walking a dog. Absolutely. And I would say this depends on the dog, their age, their health, all that good stuff. But generally speaking, when people go on a walk and don't let the dog sniff, I equate that to like, I'm going to take you to a movie theater, but I'm going to blindfold you during the movie. Like Mm. it's like they need to sniff. That's where they get so much enrichment and information. Right. We have to let them sniff. And that's actually why people will say, I will often say I'm going to have two different kinds of walks because, again, it's a relationship and we have to make everything work for all of us. If there are times we're like, look, I got to get to work. You got to go out. You got to do your business. I can't spend three hours letting you sniff one blade of grass, you know? So that's why for some dogs, okay, this is an elimination walk. You have some maybe word or a different color leash or something that this is this 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 Mm. kind of walk we're going to do. And then you should, um, if the dog is a dog who likes to sniff, make sure you go on sniffaris or whatever, sniffaris. you know, uh, <laughs> sniff walks. And and who care? I don't care if they just stay in one spot right by the door. For them, that's what can be very enriching. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's really funny that you say that because I definitely, when I will walk one of my friend's dogs, I'll do a little narration when he's like sniffing like a tire. I'll be like, oh, Gina's been here and she peed on this and she's dating Max again. <laughs> like they can sniff totally. other animals. Animals, they, they want to know what's going on in their neighborhood. Yeah, sure. I'll call love- it P-mail. Uh-huh. Oh my God, <laughs> you know, they're leaving that. little messages. Or when my, I know when my dog's sniffing a lot at the, you know, a particular post all the time, I just like, oh, it's their little Starbucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. hanging out. I love that. It's adorable. I'm lucky because Jumi never barks unless there is some kind of danger. He's not a he's not a talker in that way, yeah. which I love. I had dogs growing up that were definitely barkers. Yeah. But let's say someone does have a dog that's a barker and they want it to be barking less. Less. What what is there? What can you do? What they need to do is figure out, and this is where you want to enlist a qualified trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, that you need to figure out why the dog's barking. Mm. If they're barking, so I would say a common thing that I see is dogs often bark to get attention because if, and again, people were busy, we're busy. And sometimes we know that dogs need to go on a walk and they need exercise and they need to play. But some dogs, and what most of us forget or don't make enough time for, myself included, is that dogs also need mental stimulation and enrichment. A lot of these dogs are very smart, Mm -hmm. but they're bored. Yeah really bored. Mm -hmm. And so there are different levels of enrichment. So let's say it's a dog who's barking and it's deemed, okay, this dog is just needs a little, he's bored and frustrated. And so he's barking because he wants to do something. There's like elementary school level enrichment, high school level enrichment, and collegiate level Mm -hmm. enrichment. 
And so they're dog foraging puzzles. I consider that elementary school level. A lot of the dogs that I end up see, seeing need more high school or collegiate level. So things like trick training. I don't care if dogs know trick, but it's the act of learning mm-hmm. that is fulfilling yeah. and tiring. And so like I know I taught my, I have a little dog. I taught him how to like get a tissue and I make the sneezing sound or put oh. toys away in a toy box. And once or another great sort of enrichment for dogs who really need it is scent work Hmm. where they have to solve odor problems. So that's a great thing. So if you have a dog who's like barking because they're not getting enough stuff and the owner walks them, say, hey, I walk them, they go out in the yard. What else can I do? They're probably bored and they need to work their brain more. Hmm. And the smarter the dog is, that means you're going to have to teach them a lot of things because once they learn something, that no longer counts as mental stimulation. Yeah. Right. That's like me asking you, what's one plus one? Right. What's yeah. one plus one? Oh my God, I'll go bark at something, you right. know? So if it's a dog who just needs more stimulation, really doing that cognitive enrichment is huge. What is that scent work? Give us an example yeah. of something that would that you would do. Yeah, great. So there actually, there are... Um, It's turning into this big dog sport, scent Mm. work. And there are online courses people can take to do with their dog. That's what I did. There are trainers that like specialize in it, you know, or, you know, have certification in it. But, and a lot of people think, well, how easy is this going to be for my dog? I mean, my dog has a good nose and it starts with like boxes on the ground and treats in the boxes. How hard could that be? But you do that initial setup just for you to learn the rules of the game and for the dog to learn the rules of Mm -hmm. the game. And then what happens is you're now just putting and you usually start with treats, in random boxes so they don't know and they have to figure it out. Got it. Now you're making it harder. Now you're going to put one of the boxes on a raised piece of furniture mm-hmm. because an airflow. Do you have windows open? Do you have a fan on? Do you have the heat? Because now the what happens is smells form odor cones. Interesting. So it, they're really solving odor problems. And then you can elevate from treats to scents, really doing scent work. And then you can do it outside, which is much harder because you have the wind and everything right. else. Like it tires their brains out so much. I love this. This is like PhD level work. Yeah. So one thing, we are really worried that Jumi is bored because we both work all day and we try, we take him on walks. We take him to the off leash in the park in the morning. We try and get him, but there are just times when we can't. Absolutely. So one thing that we learned was to, our dog trainer said, when you feed your dog and you just put the food in their bowl, they're done in 30 seconds and you're missing an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So now we play this game called ping pong where we take a cup full of kibble and we take a piece and we say, we look him in the eye and then we say, find it. And we throw it across the room (laughs) and then he comes back and then we say, find it. And we throw it to another part of the room. So he eats his cup of kibble. It takes 20 minutes and he's running around the apartment. He's activated. He's looking for something and he's learning that, you know, this is, this is a game we play. He looks forward to it. And we've only been doing it for like a week and a half, but he loves it. It's so many dogs love this type of engagement. They just love it. And when you think of dogs or cats, you know, they spend a lot of time in nature foraging for their meals. That's how you have to spend a lot of their time budget on that. And nowadays it's sort of like us, right? (laughs) We just, you know, put it in the microwave and get it. We don't have to hunt and do all that stuff. And that's something you can do for free. I mean, you can buy those puzzles, but they're expensive. I mean, the dog industry as well, like the pet industry, there's just, you can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on your pet. And we will. I would, yeah. But if I don't have to spend it on a game and I can just play ping pong with Jumi, like I'd rather do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
You said something earlier that I think we should reemphasize, and that's the idea of when you're training a dog, it should be a positive experience. Oh, because yes. You, I think you still hear about a lot of people who are punishing. Yeah, it's like um, a you know, weird discipline Using thing. shock collars It's, still, it's awful. Like it's so yeah. outdated. Yeah. It's so archaic. And unfortunately, it's still yeah. very, very here in the present. So would you say, though, anyone who is really qualified to be giving information, they would never be using that kind of a technique? Correct. Okay. Correct. So if you meet someone and they want you to do that with your dog, you should go Absolutely the Absolutely not. If they're recommending prong collars um, or shock collars or they're talking all about dominant and being alpha, those uh-huh. are uneducated, outdated. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the skill set to teach a dog in different ways, you're over your head with what you're doing. Yeah. Or the dog may genuinely have some temperament traits that are making it very difficult for them and to learn. And that's possible too. Yeah. yeah. And like, so we, I know we do um, temperament tests on all of our dogs that have been validated. Some dogs have cognitive impulsivity. Mm. They they can't control their impulses. It is so hard to learn. So sometimes we have to help them regulate their emotional system so that they can learn. And when people don't know that, or or obviously the dog trainers can't prescribe meds for it if yeah. that's an issue, um, then what people do is, well, what I'm doing isn't working, so I'm going to get more heavy-handed. Right. So if we want to keep our dogs happy, we want people who are teaching them to teach them in a fun science-based way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With clarity. Yeah. With clarity. With that clarity. Makes a lot of sense. What about dogs that are aggressive? We yeah. just talk a little bit about aggression. And I think some people think that dogs are bred that way. Is that actually a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and what should someone do if their dog is being aggressive? There are dogs where there can be genetic things passed down. Mm. So a very ugly topic. Um but, you know, people who breed dogs to fight. Right. Horrible, terrible, disgusting. They keep very, they keep records on which dog can do like the most damage, mm. which dog is the most aggressive. And they will then make sure to breed those dogs. So genetically, it can be something that is passed down. Mm-hmm. Now, Their dogs will aggress for a million different reasons. And sometimes it is absolutely normal and absolutely appropriate. You stick your hand in a food bowl that a dog is eating and they growl. That dog's not being inappropriate. Mm -hmm. That's like we're being rude. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to say back off. You know, I'm not going to stick my hand in your dessert while you're eating it. Mm If a dog is resting, it's one of the few old wives' tales, I believe, let a resting dog lie. If a dog is resting and doesn't want to be bothered, so you go up and pet or hug or kiss and they're like, grr, that's normal and okay. They're allowed to have their feelings and their perspective. And they're communicating to you in an appropriate way. Where we get into trouble again is if we ignore it and Mm -hmm. just continue. And then they have to like yell at us meaning snap or bite, you know. Then there are dogs who are aggressive in context that – don't make any sense, right? Like someone crossed their legs and now they're going to go after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we see those all the time. And that's where we're looking at more complicated issues. This is beyond training. Mm-hmm. This is more probably medications, making sure there's no pain, very specific behavior yeah. modifications. Dogs will aggress out of pain. They'll aggress out of frustration. They'll aggress out of anxiety. They will aggress if they perceive someone as 
a social cheat, an ethology. They're like, you know, hey, don't come into my group. Mm. You don't belong. So there are all sorts of reasons dogs can can aggress. And it's about finding out why are they doing it? What's their emotion? What's their motivation? And what are the contexts in which it occurs? And then from there, we can devise a plan. It's like a Nancy Drew book. Like, it it's, like, it's like a mystery that you it, have to be that's looking for so, the clues. That's why I fell in love with behavior, honestly. Yeah. I, Would yeah. you say the number one thing you should do if a dog is aggressive or anxious or acting strangely is to go get a medical checkup? Yes, absolutely. To, to check for pain or other things? Absolutely. First thing. That should be the very first thing. Okay. I think one of the biggest biggest things we have to uh, appreciate and, and get out there is so many people think, understandably, my dog can run and lunge at people or just run and play. Therefore, he or she cannot be in pain or discomfort. Oh, yeah. We have a very narrow view of what pain is. People have arthritis. It doesn't mean every time they take a step, they're screaming out. Mm-hmm. And the way the brain works is the brain is going to suppress pain when the brain sees something it really wants to do. So I've learned that just because a dog runs and plays or can still lunge and react, it means nothing to me. Hmm. They still could be in discomfort. And I have the luxuries. My appointments are, are an hour long and I have a big room. So my the luxuries, I can see these dogs just walk the way they would normally walk. And where I find most signs that I'm concerned something was wrong is when they're just doing their normal walk at a slow pace because that's when I'll see subtle lameness issues. Mm -hmm. But have them do a trot or a run and suddenly everything looks perfect. So it is the very first thing you should do is and tell your veterinarian, I'm concerned my dog may be in some discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so we want to palpate all the muscles and all the joints, et cetera. Speaking of pain that you can't see, just like humans who sometimes have clinical depression that you can't see when you're walking down the street, Mm -hmm. can you tell me about sad dogs? How do we know our dog is sad? Why does this happen? You know, what can we do? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, from a scientific basis, you know, should we be using the word sad? But going over all that, I think if your dog is lying around with sort of that sad looking face and isn't able to experience joy. So they're not happy when they go for a walk. They're not happy when you want to play. They're not happy when you try and engage them. Then I think we have to look at, is there something medical going on or are we a little depressed? Mm -hmm. And if so, why? And what can we do about that? Okay. Makes sense. What are your thoughts about antidepressants for dogs? They're absolutely necessary okay. in, in certain dogs for yeah. sure. So, um, And they work. Yes. So in dogs, we use a lot of the same medicine they use in people. We use Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft, Xanax and Valium, Gabapentin, mm. a lot of the same stuff. Brain chemistry is brain chemistry. Mm. You know, they use dogs to study um, Alzheimer's because yeah. uh, the pathogenesis is similar. They use dogs to study PTSD. Um, They use dog for certain anxiety models, all to benefit people. But dogs can experience so many of the things that we can because all of these neurotransmitters, again, basic biology, it's like you have to have emotions to be able to then have motivation and make decisions about what you want to do. So it's like so this is not just a human thing. Mm -hmm. It's in many species. 
on a happier note. Let's, let's do that. Let's move <laughs> a, away from on this. A happier note, <laughs> Noah once told me that even though Jumi is a big boy, he sleeps in the bed with Noah and his partner, which is just like a sleepover I want to be invited to. Like the <laughs> cutest thing on planet Earth. And I can't imagine because my tiny cat sleeps in the bed with us right. and it's still like absolute chaos yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, is that okay for Jimmy to be in Please the bed with us? Please say yes. It's absolutely okay. okay. My dog sleeps in my bed with okay. me. The only time it's, it's not okay or I should say safe, is if you have a dog that when you move in your sleep, it bites you. You know, that type yeah. of thing. Like if the dog's going to show aggression, then it's probably the safest mm-hmm. thing to do to not allow the dog to sleep in a bed. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's again, like sort of an, an outdated, archaic, okay. you know, your dog sleeps in the bed with you or is on the furniture, they're going to think they're alpha or in charge. Right. Um, you know, dogs just want to be warm and cuddly and have a comfortable place to rest just like we do. So I love that my dog sleeps with me in bed. Me too. That makes me really happy because it is an old wives tale that like they'll they'll believe that they're your equal or exactly that, which that they is can do whatever crazy. they want. Which like because we yeah. control everything about their lives. Right. Yeah. They're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's so crazy. This has been so interesting. I'm wondering are there any other things you can think of that we like expect from our dogs that we shouldn't, any myths that you want to bust about how we interact with our dogs or making our dogs making happy. Our dogs happy. Yeah. I think we already touched on this, but it's so important that we just get past this dogs want to be dominant, dogs want to be alpha. It's it's as archaic as saying women shouldn't vote. Mm. Like just let's move on. Mm-hmm. That's a myth. Get a different person to help you if that's what you're being told. Um, I think the other thing really is expecting dogs to let us as their family members or anyone do anything we want to them and they should never, ever growl or say, please stop. Right. Dogs have their own wants, desires, you know, they're adult beings. Um, So we can't expect a dog to let us do whatever we want anytime we want. And we also can't expect them to be very, some dogs aren't super social with other dogs and some dogs aren't super social with other people. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to respect that. And you have to get to know your own dog and you may have to create like, who's their friend profile if you don't just have one of these overtly social dogs. So I think let's get rid of the dominant stuff. It's just enough is enough already with that nonsense. And then also appreciating your dog as an individual being. And they're going to have their own wants and desires and likes and dislikes. And we just have to learn to live together as best we can. I love that. I love that Let too. your dog be, be them. Thank you for oh, being here. This has been pleasure. so illuminating. I love it. Oh God. It just, I feel so good. And I'm just imagining puppers and I can't wait to have six of them. (laughs) (laughs) And my one cat. (laughs) Now it's time for Better in Five. These are our top five takeaways from this episode. All right. Number one. Dogs are thinking, feeling creatures that have boundaries and ways that they communicate with us. Our job is to pay attention and look for their signals. Number two, sniffing is such a huge part of how dogs understand the world. So treating them well means giving them ample time to sniff. Go on a sniffari. <laughs> All right, number three, there are ways to tell if our dog is happy, but it's a combination of factors and not as simple as paying attention to a wagging tail or kisses. 
Number four, as much as we love to kiss and hug and pet our dogs, they just might not be into it. So we need to pay attention to their reactions and maybe concentrate on quality rather than quantity with your affection. And number five, just like us, dogs have their own unique personalities. Some are introverts, some are extroverts. We kind of need to learn to respect that and acclimate to it. So Raj, on a scale of one to 10, how much did you learn during this episode about dogs? Oh my God, an 11 for Uh sure. uh My mind is blown, especially the part about dispelling the myth that you need to be this like dominant authoritarian figure to your dog. That's not really my jam and my brand anyway with animals. I want to be friends. I want us to love and respect each other. So I'm processing that. What about you? Completely. I think the thing for me, and this is, this kills me to say this, but I do think I'm going to sort of back off Jumi a little bit. Mm. And my, my thing is like, I just want to kiss him or rub his belly or hug him every single time I see him. And I honestly don't think he loves that. And so now I'm going to try and make like my kisses really count. So when I give him a kiss, it really matters. But I'm not going to every single time I see him on the couch, go over to him and bother him. This is a recipe for sadness for you and happiness for Jimmy. No, no, no. You know what? You're going to feel really happy now because you're going to know that that restraining yourself a little bit is actually making him feel more loved. And that's what you want. And I think that's exactly it. And and the other thing too is like, like Emily said, like it's not just about us. Yeah. These are adults, I think, as she put it. And Adult beings. Yeah, yeah. They have lives and they have wants and they have desires and boundaries. And so the more that we can respect that, I think the better our relationship is going to be. It is kind of like having a teenager, it is. you know, yeah. and, and they have their own lives and we have to respect that. I love that. Jimmy just texted me. He said that he loves you so much. I wish he did. <laughs> I have the idea of his little pause on a phone and that is just breaking my heart in the best way. Anyway, until next time, as long as there are things to get wrong, we're going to be right here to help you do them better. Love y'all. Do you have something you think you're doing wrong? Email us at amidoingitwrong at huffpost.com and let us know. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.